With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle empire. So, moving on to the week yet to come. Ohio State is going to Maryland to put their college football playoff hopes on the line against the Terrans. That's a really good commercial you did there. Um, and a really valiant effort to make this game interesting. Now, as we mentioned in the review, if you're an Ohio State fan, you're probably pretty disgruntled right now. Uh, your team's not even winning by 35 points a game. You know, you, you even lost a game this season. So a lot of problems, a lot of things that just make you very angry. If you're an Ohio State fan, a lot of things to be, you know, the world really isn't treating you fairly this year. God, I just, you know, I have to keep watching the game like well into the third quarter without being 100% sure who's going to win or lose. It just, I, I just can't imagine, you know, to, to and, and just like I say all the time to them, hey, good. I also hope you never have another season like this. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, this game will actually be somewhat interesting of a matchup on paper because Ohio State over the course of the season has been pretty bad defending the run. Uh, and what does Maryland like to do? They like to run. But really, the, the true and actual story of this game this week is going to be for how many days does the Zach Smith uncontrolled oil fire burn? Um, it's been a true... I don't know what exactly... Pro- well, no, you know what? I know exactly what prompted him. Substances of an intoxicating nature prompted him um, to reemerge from whatever rock he was hiding under and begin basically um, blowing his righteousness trumpet and somehow, like, portraying himself as the as the virtuous one in this whole situation. Got um, into a truly amusing Twitter spat with Tom Herman, who, on the one hand, I, I'm, <laughs> the whole thing with him and demanding a taunting flag on Will Greer painted him as a little bit of a villain, but he's like a hilarious Texas villain, okay? Because then in this Twitter spat where... Zach Smith basically puts Tom Herman's name in his mouth and accuses him publicly of adultery and says, basically says, everything I did, Tom Herman did just as bad. Why am I the one who's being punished? Well, because you suck at your job and Tom Herman's one of the best offensive minds in the game, frankly. But putting that whole thing aside, Tom Herman's reaction to Zach Smith directly accusing him of adultery was... Like in a, in a text to him. Yeah, was, okay, cool, bro. <laughs> hook him. And that was it. <laughs> okay, that was cool. all he said. Hook him. Okay, cool, hook him. Hook him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be an all time great thread ender, by the way. Okay, cool. Hook him. Yeah. <laughs> and but the point of that whole story has been whether you care about the game or not, whether the game is interesting. I kind of hope the game is a blowout. And I don't even care in which direction because as soon as the announcers can stop talking about the game, you know they <laughs> yes. will. This whole thing is gonna come up at the beginning, maybe just in passing. Maybe they'll try to be professional about it. But if they have dead air to fill, if it's you know Ohio State fifty six, Maryland three at halftime or whatever, and they have some things to fill to make the game more interesting, you know they're gonna pick this story up. They're not gonna be able to help themselves. So I cheer for a blowout in this game. I don't care which way. Yeah. So no, it was it was it was not so much. Uh, oh, this guy's just as bad. It's a no. Actually, all those things that I was supposed supposedly did 
in fact, he did, and the conspiracy against me is because I dared speak out against him, or I knew too much, and I had to be taken down. Like, that's, that's his whole angle, right? It's, yeah. it's way more delusional than you were making it out to be. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's just one of those ones where you just want them to start making some allusions to it, and for that reason, also the Texas game. They yeah, play what foundering TCU? I don't know. Somebody they got Iowa State. Oh, Iowa State. So still, still, we're talking about the Big Ten. Um, I don't know. I mean, I see Ohio State winning this one just because I I can't quite picture them blowing a shot to make for a really important game the following week. Yeah, and it's it's not like their margin has been so vast this year that they're in any position to look ahead either. And the other thing is once you get towards the end of the game and you have or end of the season and you have those goals in mind, I think those concerns about looking ahead kind of fall by the wayside because there's not you can only look ahead so far, you know. Plus we established the type of program that Maryland is earlier and therefore their fans, right? It seems like the thing that would happen this week would be whatever is most harmful to their fans, which means that Dwayne Haskins is going to go like 42 for 43. Ooh, man. I forgot about that angle. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you yeah, have to maximize will... Maryland suffering because that's the kind of program they are. And I haven't heard any real indication about what Haskins' mindset is on going pro or not. He's draft eligible this year. But it, it, wouldn't it be kind of fitting if the only season he plays really in college football – they play at Maryland, his, you know, one of the last games of his career, and he just had this virtuoso performance, and he's like, Deuce is going to make some money. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that seems pretty good. And, and meanwhile, Maryland, they've got, I mean, if you think back to the first few times we saw some of their current quarterbacks, you're like, wow, they have some options here. Now we've got another season of data. They do not have some options here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> turns out that whole thing last year, the quarterback depth chart getting ruined, might have not been as much of an impact as we thought. Yeah. And we assumed that they lost some pretty decent quarterbacks when, as it turned out, they didn't really get that much better at the position. No, no. And so, yeah, there, there's a potential for some real psychological pain here because more so than the typical recruit who you miss, losing Dwayne Haskins the way they did after the length of time he was committed, that's probably, I mean, this is probably a knife that is going to be twisted again, unfortunately. Yeah, that's just, that'd, be, that'd just be very on brand. Yeah. Michigan State at Nebraska. I'm going. Um, planned this trip a while ago. You know, it's a cross-division game, so we play there like once a decade. Yeah, who knows when they're ever going to play there. Uh, what do I think about this game? I don't know. I don't, I have no idea what to expect from my team this year. I mean, first of all, it depends on the health of the quarterbacks for Michigan State. I mean, it, if Lewerke is able to put a shirt on over his head, <laughs> then, then Antonio's going to play him because he's that stubborn, that friggin' hard-headed about it. If he's able to, you know, justify putting Lewerke back out there, he's going to, even though the guy has looked like a shell of himself this year. Um, so that's kind of the first question. Well, see, and I think that the answer to that, um, to that all, really, the, to sum everything up here, is as far as what Mark Antonio is going to do, how he's going to handle everything. He's going to handle it well because you're not sure if they're going to win or not, which means you're not just sure that they're going to lose because now they've established themselves as the inferior team, which means that the doubt isn't in full force yet. So he's going to, you know, of course he's going to hand, you know, of, of course they're going to disappoint. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, okay, it's only when you're sure, okay, something's fundamentally wrong here that, uh-uh-uh, not so fast. Nope, nope, we're still right here. Like, like, like the way that they did against Purdue, they're going to, they're gonna, you know, the way that they've 49 nothing Rutgers. 
just be like, nope, nope, you thought that we were incompetent enough to do this, but no, no, we're still, we're still decent. Yeah, if I, from a program, from a, you know, big picture perspective on the program, if I had to guess what Michigan State will do these next two games, and maybe even in the bowl, they'll probably win all three. They'll, they'll have just a good enough season that even though, if you look back at certain spots, it's like, God, the way we're doing things really left some things on the table that we should have been able to achieve. They're going to still get just enough that com- taking those results combined with the injuries they've had, they will have the perfect excuse casserole to not change a goddamn thing. So I'll still have to watch Jim Bowman wasting all the talent of the tight ends. I'll have to watch Mark Staten recruiting 270-pound offensive linemen and then not making them any bigger. I'll have to watch play calling continue to smash the ball up the middle on first down. Although, to their credit, they didn't do that much last week because they ran like 30 plays or some shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm serious. Look at the box score from last week. I think they had like six attempted runs by tailbacks, which is more in line with what I want from the, the actual talent matchup of this team. In fact, I gotta take a look at last week's box score for another reason because I think I noticed something that kind of got my attention. There were only 18 carries at all, and one of, and three of them were by team for negative points. Yeah, so that would, I think that would include. Um, oh no, it's right here. I didn't even know that this had been announced. Um, L.J. Scott's redshirting, so he's not gonna play again this year. No. Yeah. Kind of a baffling decision for a guy who. I mean, if you, I don't know if you watched the Holiday Bowl broadcast last year, but. Gus Johnson made it sound like he was going to go and be a first or second round pick or something. He's like, yeah. this L.J. Scott, very impressive, certainly NFL guy. Big Far be it for Gus to Johnson to exaggerate how exciting something is. Well, I mean, honestly, given he was definitely sick calling that game because it was the least enthusiastic I've ever seen him on a game call. Um but still, like the down the second half of the game in particular, he's like, "Oh yeah, this calls guy. it in the air, it's hands, and the tosses, oh, it's tails." <laughs> yeah, none of that happened in the Holiday Bowl. It was definitely the flattest um, <laughs> I've ever seen him. But I, like I said, I believe he was sick. But in any case, so yeah, this MSU will not have L.J. Scott the rest of this year. To be honest, that's fine. Um, even when he's played, he hasn't looked that good, and part of it's because the line has just been garbage in front of him. Looking at the game from Nebraska's standpoint, again, things are kind of coming together here. Um, we haven't heard any chirping from Nebraska fans, obviously, because they've still got a seven-burger in the loss column, so the bowl is out of the picture. Now, the flip side of that is they don't have anything to play for in the postseason, so you're probably going to see maximum effort these last couple games. I have no idea what to expect here. I mean, Scott Frost's scheme feels like the type of scheme that is probably going to work pretty darn well against Michigan State's defense, just the way that Bo Pelini's offense is used to. He certainly has a kid in Taylor Martinez, or I call him Taylor Martinez, in Adrian <laughs> Martinez. Uh I'm sure that's not the first time that's going to happen to him, so, although, so I don't feel as bad about it. I don't even think that's the first but, time you've done that this year. I don't think I've done it before. Nobody reviewed the tapes. I don't need to hear about this. But. Yeah, yeah. Everybody check our receipts. In any case, he's got the kid who could certainly make you pay if you... And some talented receivers. Fight the wrong... Oh, yeah. Although, honestly, that's... Considering that Josiah Scott was out for a good part of the year... Josh Butler was hurt for a good part of the year. I haven't been terribly dissatisfied with MSU's past defense. I mean, they've had some busts in big moments, but in college, that's going to happen. You know, you don't exactly have Richard Sherman. So, all that's, I mean, that's a long way in a lot of words of saying, I really don't have any idea what to expect this game, but I'm going with a couple of very good friends of mine. We have, you know, many stops planned along the way. We're going to rendezvous with... to go before you sleep. We're going to go before you sleep. We're going to rendezvous with all of the off-tackle folks who can get a hold of on the way out there and back. So it's going to be a good weekend either way. 
there's not really anything on the table for either team. MSU's got a bowl already. Nebraska's not going to get one. All you're really playing for at this, at this point is to kind of look ahead a little bit and set yourself up to look back on the season with as much pride as you can. So that's about all there is to say about that. Another game that there's really not to say much about. Yeah, let's talk <laughs> Penn State Rutgers matchup. The last fun thing to happen in this matchup was Rutgers should have won the game if Gary Nova didn't turn it over all those times. And as exemplified by the time that he ran like a good five yards past the line of scrimmage and then retreated two <laughs> yards and then back. tried to throw the ball. And tried oh, to throw man. the ball. Which, by the way, just FYI, you can't go back across the line of scrimmage. Once you cross the line of scrimmage, you can't go back and throw. I was going to say, you can go back as far as you want. You oh, just yeah. can't throw yeah. the ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, is there much to say about this game? I mean, no. Um, Rutgers' pass defense is, remains decent, but again, it Penn State's not matter. gonna. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's not likely to throw. They've, to their credit, I guess the last couple Penn State games that I've watched, it does seem like they have de-emphasized the throws to the outside receivers, which were frankly a weakness of this offense anyway. Um, they've been using Firemuth, the promising young tight end, more. They've leaned much more heavily on Miles Sanders the last couple games, at least the ones that I've seen. This may not reflect you know, last week's game or anything, which again, I confess I did not watch, but it doesn't feel like a game that's going to be competitive for all that long. Rutgers has shown some parts. Again, you mentioned the past defense has been good. You have to like what you've seen from Isaiah Pacheco. If you're a Rutgers fan, you've got something going forward. Maybe with him being a better between the tackles guy, you can use Blackshear in a role that's more suited to him instead of giving him 25 carries a game. So maybe there's some promise here, but the dysfunction at the quarterback spot, the dis- the you know non-threatening receivers, the fact that we're still vulnerable against the run, there's still a lot of ways to beat them pretty easy. Yeah, and of course, Butkowski's trial by fire continues. How many interceptions? He only threw one more last week, but they didn't it's actually really... slowed down over the last few weeks. All right, so he he may just have a really bad season. And I feel I feel like we talked about this the last time we brought this topic up, but. If you have a, ba- a season this bad, you kind of hope that you just like go balls to the wall and be really bad. Like, yeah. Like with Tanner Lee, when he threw all those pick sixes at the beginning of the year, it's like, oh, what if he keeps this rate up? What yeah. if this is like one of those hilarious outlier seasons and he has like 14 pick sixes by the end of the year? Like, wouldn't that be? But no, he just ended up having a pretty bad season. That <laughs> you know, it, it leveled out quite a bit. Taking it as a whole. Those really yeah. spectacularly bad games just kind of dragged the whole thing down a little bit. and you It know. made it seem like the average was sustainable, but it yeah. really was not as statistically likely as the concentration of occurrences early made you made you believe it was. So, I don't know. This is going to be a glorified scrimmage for Penn State, and if you're a Rutgers fan still watching at this point, I mean, God bless you. Yeah, man. We're there with you, you know? Our teams aren't playing meaningful games at this point either. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm still watching my team, and I can't even, like, I, I said, as an Illinois fan, I can't even imagine how you're watching at this point, because the, the only drama is whether or not you fire Chris Ash, and there's still been not much word on that. Well, so, I mean, since we got a little more airtime to fill, why don't we discuss that? Do you fire Chris Ash if he goes 1-11 this year? How can you not? I mean, they're bringing in, <coughs> they're not bringing in talent that's going to elevate them. Um, they're not, and they're clearly not improving the talent. It's you haven't had a lot of injuries <clears throat> right now. No, well, no, but it's fair enough to say that because of all the off-field stuff they had and losing a bunch of players that way, that the depth on defense was affected. But really, this team's problem has been and remains offense. Like they don't have a particularly dynamic or playmaking defense, but it's been for the most part good enough that if they had even a kind of okay offense, 
They'd be in more games. They'd win. Their more offensive games. line is terrible. Like it, it is bad enough that I honestly don't know how to evaluate John McNulty as offensive coordinator because what can you do when you have a pocket quarterback and a terrible offensive line? And not like not an especially young line or a line that should be that bad either. Like Tariq Cole is is he a three or a four year starter? He's a guy who frequently gets NFL chatter. But then you, I mean, you look at him at the, at the tackle he, at the tackle positions. They just have been manhandled. I mean, they've they've been manhandled by like Buffalo pushed them around. Illinois pushed them around. Weak offense or weak defensive lines have just manhandled them for entire right. games. And so you know what I was gonna say before, and you're correct there. And so normally I'd be tempted to point out like there's really been some pretty good defensive line play in the conference this year, especially at the ends. You know, we think about the group that Michigan's got. You think about what we're going to probably see from Penn State here. I mean, Michigan State has pretty good defensive line play. Ohio State certainly does. I, did they play Iowa? I think they played Iowa. Um, so there are kind of some excuses there. But Rutgers didn't play Iowa. No? All right. I, they played Indiana. All right. And so that's not really... <laughs> that's, that's not really as apropos, but... Um, the, the, yes, they played anti-Iowa. Right. Um, I don't know what else to say if you're Rutgers, man. I mean... What would a sign of hope be these last two games? It I, it doesn't seem reasonable to expect a win. They a could, sign, they a could, sign of hope in these last two games, I, I'm sorry, is a win. You're not going to wake me up if I'm a Rutgers fan right now with anything less than a win. They could beat Michigan State. They could. MSU's offense has shown signs of being that bad. Um, yeah, it, it's possible. We could lose that game. We could very easily lose the Nebraska game. But I think but the, I mean, line, I'm I think the opening line was something like MSU minus two at a three-win team. And yeah, I know they're a lot better now, but that's probably But they're about still right. worlds better than Rutgers. They better be. I mean, the, the only thing that gives me I, I mean, Nebraska there, is oh, worlds better than yeah, Rutgers. Yeah. The only thing that prevents me from worrying much about the Rutgers game is that I, I don't see any way for Rutgers to score. They don't have dynamic return guys. There's no real possibility of a special team. I mean, unless MSU, that's the thing is because MSU is so bad punting and they have such terrible vulnerability there, maybe this is the week where all those weaknesses kind of pile up. But we're looking ahead to the final week of the season. We already talked about it in these games. So when, when you look at the future, like you look at the future for Rutgers, what I, I just don't see anything happening under Chris Ash because the talent's not really there. The ta- what talent you have that's that's decent is mostly upperclassmen. Right. Although that's I mean that's usually the case. But I mean let's for example consider. But he's in his but he's in his third year. Yeah. Um. And they're most I'm saying they're they're mostly not guys he brought in. Right. Fair to say. Yeah. So there's one other thing that I want to bring up here um, to kind of wrap our thought about Rutgers all for a moment. My point was basically going to be that Rutgers right, but <laughs> but specifically, we have discussed in the past on numerous occasions the fact that if Rutgers had any ability whatsoever to keep their in-state talent at home, even a decent proportion of it, even like a normal proportion of it for a major college program, they would be in so much better of a position. But they haven't, and there's no big pipeline and, elsewhere. Right, they they kind of draw guys from all over, guys who sort of fall into the cracks. And it's the same thing this year. I think of the three top 100 players, according to 24-7, one's going to Penn State, one's going to Notre Dame, one's going to Alabama. Three guys from New Jersey that are in the top 100. So none of them going to Rutgers. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they've they've gotten more guys out of the New York City area with Chris Ash than I think they did before, but not guys that anybody else wants. Yeah. I mean, they, they, pick, they pick it absolutely clean when they come through there. The bigger programs do. So yeah, you do honestly, get a lot of guys from the state, but you could probably look elsewhere 
find better players with the same amount of competition from other schools. And it's not to say that not having a top 100 player prevents you from being good, but the thing is, if you're not going to get the guys who are obviously top players, you got to find ones who will be. And then you got to make them. Uh, and they're not even such. doing that. Like, yeah. I mean, Iowa comes in and finds Akram Wadley, who's like a two-star out of New Jersey, and they turn him into an excellent player. So, no, there's... <laughs> if you want a summary on the State of Rutgers program, no talent on the field, no development off of it, no recruiting to look to the future. <laughs> just, just every At every single level, it's been a failure. Yeah. So, no, I, I think you're right. If you don't get a win in one of these last two games, and even if you do, I mean, if you're 2-10... In year three, you're keeping the coach. Like, what do you? What message are you sending? That's really the level that you expect you to, to be at. This Rutgers team is about as bad as the 2016 one, and this is much more Chris Ash is making. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I mean, it's not anything personal against the yeah. guy, but yeah. All right, well enough talk about that. Northwestern at Minnesota, another utterly meaningless game, except and as we mentioned no. earlier, Minnesota's got five wins. Do we want to see Northwestern? Give a little, you know, upper midway. Do we want to see him be Minnesota nice? We'll get a little, give a little bit. Give a little bit of your wins to You know PJ Flex, the guy at the, at the bonfire who brings out the acoustic guitar and stumbles through, like, you know, Stairway to Heaven or something. <laughs> Isn't he that guy? <laughs> wait, wait. Wait, no, I got it. Here we go. Damn it. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, I really don't know what to expect after last week's performance. Uh, in fact, it just, if we're going from just what would be the most on-brand thing to have happen, Northwestern would lose this game. Sure they would. Um, but we, we kind of asked in what I think was just as to whether we think Northwestern might consider resting some guys, taking the foot off the gas a little bit. I don't think so because, first of all, that's completely inconsistent with the Pat Fitzgerald smash head into a wall mentality. Um, and there's also the fact that, oh, sure, they, pitch count. sure, they won the division, but they're still only a six-win team. And so the thing is, if they lose the conference title game and they're now a six-and-seven team, yeah, they're probably still going to get a bowl, but it's probably going to be like the quick lane bowl. Uh, if you, whereas if you get it to eight wins or something, at least you're going to Florida, you know. Unless you get to six wins, and then you win the Big Ten, and then you're in the Rose Bowl at seven, at seven and six. six. <laughs> uh, we can only hope. That would be pro- very and, Northwestern. Well, and watch they'll do that, and then like I don't need like, who like six and six USC will somehow win the Pac-12 South, and then win the, con- <laughs> the conference title game. So it'll be two seven and six teams playing. In the Rose Bowl, it'll be like the worst Rose Bowl game in the history of the Rose Bowl. Um, yeah, that would kind of fit even, in. With even the you, Wisconsin TCU. Even you. So anyway, then uh, I don't know. Iowa at Illinois. Some people are saying that this could be a win for Illinois. I don't really see it happening because Iowa's offense is better than our defense, and Iowa's defense is better than our offense. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessary to go into it in a lot more sophistication no, than that. I mean, it's not at all. I mean, our our running game has looked good, but this is a this is this could be the best defense that we've played to this point. Um, uh, our crossovers were Rutgers and uh, and Maryland. Did you did you play Penn State? Did you know I and Penn, Penn State? State, yeah. Penn State's not a great defense. No, They're a pretty good defense, but I I would give the nod to Iowa there. Yeah, so Iowa, I think, is the best defense that we've played. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I've been a little more impressed with Illinois' offense overall. I mean, granted, it still has some odd moments. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to eat some crow right here. I was wrong. Luke Butkus has, against all odds, 
churned out a pretty decent run blocking unit. Yeah. Um, they've really developed over the course of the year, and it's been one of the few places where we haven't seen injuries. We've had the same guys starting all year, and they still miss stuff. They're fairly young, um, but they sure do maul people. So that's a testament to, you know, one thing Lovey Smith did that produced some results, recruit humongous, very strong men on the line. Uh, they still don't know exactly what they're doing, but yeah, that the run blocking has refined itself a lot. But I think it's going to be a lot harder to get to the second level against Iowa. And uh, Reggie Corbin may be able to do some stuff if he's not limited with that ankle injury. But I don't know. It's certainly not going to be the track meet Nebraska was. Well, in, in either direction. Because even if Iowa has the ability to put a lot of points up offensively, half the time it doesn't feel like they're interested in doing that. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll have to see if... That's the problem. Is we'll that see if Noah they Fant could yards. light us on fire with the pass. Especially because we really struggle over the middle. Um, we'll see. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. In other words, if he wanted to, he could. Kirk Ferentz could set the record for tight end receptions and reception yards right over the middle because we struggle so much with that. But he'll watch him not do it. I mean, we struggle against the run. Our pass defense is abysmal. Our run defense is a little better, but it's bad enough that Kirk Ferentz will realize, oh, I don't have to pass. I'll grind it out and win by seven. Um, well, really, it'll be it'll be like I don't know. I think like a thirty-four to twenty-four, like one of those ones where it's not a blowout, but you never really feel like Illinois has a chance. The gentleman's blowout. That's that's what I call it. You know, <coughs> we had one of those like I don't know. Michigan's done a few of those. Wisconsin was doing some of those last year when their offense wasn't that great. Yeah. The gentleman's blowout. That insurmountable fourteen, <laughs> ten to fourteen point margins. Yeah. Two score game that never feels that close. All right. Um. So Wisconsin at Purdue. Uh, again, not a ton, you know, Purdue's got to have a game in these last two to get to a bowl. Wisconsin is there already, is now out of the picture in the Big Ten West. It'll be interesting to see the psychology of a Wisconsin team that doesn't have anything to play for late in the season, because it's been a while since that was the case. Um, I don't know what to make of this game. I mean, Purdue has been a little bit more up and down than I frankly thought they'd be at the end of Brahms' second season. I wonder what effect the persisting and intensifying rumors about his departure will have. I guess we will see. Yeah, I don't know. Brown's the kind of coach that even if there were, you know, even if he were leaving, he, I, I feel like he would not let it affect current team that much. Um, it's not a Bobby Petrino, if you will. We will see. Wisconsin has had more losses on the defensive side of the ball with injuries recently too, so. Purdue, I just can't break down Purdue's struggles against Minnesota, why it works, you know, why, why, why Minnesota's defense works so well against them. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know. It... I'm trying to find some insight in that one for this game, and it's just not happening. So I don't really know what to expect. I think Purdue will win this one just because those they've performed well in big program moments at home. Yeah. This is senior day. This feels like, you know, what, is David Blau a senior? Yes. Yeah. I mean... Blau is a senior. This, is, this, um... is, uh, this had the makings of this... Yeah, this basically had the makings of a storybook season for Purdue until that Minnesota thing happened. Um, well, I, when we say story, yeah, I suppose because when I say have, that, I don't it. necessarily mean national title. I mean the kind of thing where it's a good season, but also like all the big, all the moments are big and everything special is happening. You know what I mean? It, I don't know if I would consider a season featuring a loss to Eastern Michigan as a storybook. I mean, yeah, but that's the be... that's that's the obstacle that the hero like that's that's the hero's initial defeat, and then they're at their lowest point after the Mizzou 
game. It could be like right? one of those really fucked up stories that like we told before people cared about racism, anti-Semitism. Like like this season would be like the story it's like the Jew in the Thornbush or something is like the story of is the storybook season that we're having. Like it's not really nothing is okay about this, but you know, it, no, it, if you haven't heard that story, by the way, read it. It's like, it's it's bizarre. It doesn't overlay with modern morality at all. But then neither does the hurry up, no tempo spread featuring all these trick plays. So the meerkat. But we're still here, you know, we're still seeing that offense in the Big Ten in the year 2018. So, so anyway, before we get nuked off of Twitter, <laughs> Indiana at Michigan is our final game. And how many overtimes do you think it takes Michigan to I don't to think it's a many this time. No. Um, I do I not think, think Indiana is really quite even as I don't know if they're quite as good as their record no and I think maybe they missed their opportunity to get off this particular schneid um at least it's it doesn't I don't think they'll let a wind over a win over Maryland stop them if they were going to fire uh Tom, Tom Allen. Yeah, yeah I, I was, I was gonna say like Dan. Allen. <laughs> they gonna fire? If they gonna fire Tim Allen, are they gonna cancel Tim that Allen. damn, cancel that terrible sitcom of his again? Nobody watches it. That's why. That's why it was it ABC that let it go? Because sitcoms on on the Friday night slaughter just suicide. Um. Anyway, no, I don't see any real reason to think Indiana wins this game or keeps it close. But we never expect them to keep it close in the games that they keep it close against powerhouse teams. So. We will see. I mean, it, even if they do keep it close, it probably feels like another game that ends up being a heartbreaker for them. Maybe you'd rather just lose this quickly, get it over with, get on with your day. I don't know. So you have then the, you know, the sad Indiana lurkers online when Michigan wins in three overtimes and it says, oh man, who survived Team Chaos again. And then Indiana guy just goes, oh, we're not Team Chaos when we lose 24-3. You. Yeah, that's, man, you're bobbing me out. Let's look nationally. Um, not a whole lot of good stuff on the slate this week because this is the annual Chicken Shit Saturday Down South. You know? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I mean, no disrespects to the revered SEC SoCon Challenge. That is the reason so many SEC teams are ranked late in the season because they take a respite late in the schedule and make sure that everybody puts one more in the win column before, the playing, their, before playing their last games of the year. So um, because of that, lots of ranked teams, because, you know, SEC, playing unranked body bags that they're going to win against easily. Uh, only a couple of games featuring ranked teams this week. Psst. Yeah. Watch out for Texas A&M's game against UAB. I don't oh, think yeah. they thought this would be that dangerous. Yeah, they probably, when they scheduled a team that shut down its program, they probably did not anticipate that team to have nine wins after ten weeks, <laughs> you know, a, a, a season later. So, sure, that could be an interesting one. Um, if you don't want to see Notre Dame in the playoff, you're going to need to send your thoughts and prayers to Syracuse Hold immediately. Hold up your hands Hold and let hands. Syracuse borrow your energy. Like a damn spirit bomb, man. Send it all to Dino Babers. Um, I mean, his hairstyle's more like Krillin than Goku, but, you know, send all your energy. What? He's clean shaven, isn't he? Or am I I'm losing my mind? No, he's got hair. Krillin? Dino Babers. Dino Babers. <laughs> yes, I know Krillin I is bald. Remember. I watch. No, Krillin is sometimes, uh, sometimes has sweet hair. Wait, I feel like Babers usually wears a hat. Oh, no one can know what's under the hat! Yeah, this is, anyway, this has gone off the rails. So, so but Syracuse, Syracuse, is Syracuse needs to take all of our energy and then launch it at Notre Dame and make Brian Kelly go, ah! 
Although, for the record, the spirit bomb never fucking worked. It was the most overrated technique. It was the freaking Texas of, <laughs> of Dragon Ball Z techniques. It never actually lived up to the hype. So, if you don't want to see Notre Dame in the playoff, you should definitely watch that game. And the thing is, looking at this game on the schedule ahead of time, we were sure that game day was going to be here because it's not only is it Notre Dame or number three Notre Dame hosting a ranked Syracuse team but the game is in Yankee Stadium and for ESPN to pass up on that cross-branding opportunity I was like how did that oh oh yeah ESPN doesn't have tier one rights for Notre Dame today so if Notre Dame doesn't you know NBC doesn't want to give up the broadcast they don't have to and they didn't and that's why game day is in UCF to you know watch a good UCF team play an unranked but also pretty good Cincinnati for control of the American, I believe. Um, looking elsewhere, Iowa State at Texas just yeah, because, a, you know, a rematch of the uh, a, a rematch of the glories. Paul Rhodes may or may not make a jackoff motion at Mac Brown game. This game has come a long way in terms of the coaches involved. <laughs> if you think about the difference, <laughs> if you think about the difference between Paul Rhodes and half-retired Mac Brown versus you know Matt Campbell and Tom Herman, um, the game has come a long way. Probably not going to be what you think of when you think of a typical Big Twelve game. These are definitely two of the best defenses in that conference. And then looking elsewhere. Uh, West Virginia at Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State has not had the season that we're accustomed to seeing from them, but they're still an offense. I did say that they would be disappointing. You did. And, well, I mean, when we say disappointing, they lose an excellent quarterback in Mason Rudolph. It was James Washington. And this is one of those seasons that happens every now and then at Oklahoma State where, like, the cycle of NFL quarterbacks, right, it misses a step, so you have, like, some redshirt senior that's been buried on the depth chart. And that's literally what they have this year. Yeah, Taylor Cornelius. This happened, I want to, what was it, uh, Zach Robinson? No, he he started for a couple years. He, oh, there was, was, there was he somebody, played for the Lions for a while. There was, no, there was somebody, was it, oh, I'm thinking of the, the Clint Shelf West Lunt year. Like, well, they were both kids, though. Like, Shelf I think they was, were, no, wait, there's there's some, I know that Lunt was a, but I thought that that was one of those, in any case, it's a gap year, basically, for their yeah. NFL <laughs> yeah. quarterback pipeline, this is, is what I'm trying to say. Well, if, if you're suggesting that Oklahoma State is going to take some time off and go to Europe, I think you might catch some hands from one Mike Gundy, sir. <laughs> if you're saying Oklahoma State's going to take some time off and do a grand tour, what do you even Why would I ever leave these fertile oil plains of Oklahoma to go to some big city and be enlightened? I got everything I need right here. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, man, frankly, uh, I think that it's this entitlement snowflake mentality that you know, tends to make Big Ten offenses think that they can just go ahead and run the ball and to not put the ball in the air because, you know, of all the snowflakes that are coming down around you. Um, and we don't really like that here in the Big 12. Man, I hope we snow on Saturday. I haven't been to a snow game in quite a while now. Um, anyway, looking, as we said, not a whole lot of interesting stuff going on nationwide, but if you want to think big picture... We are in a coaching carousel season now. There are, let's see, let's count. We got Louisville, Bowling Green, Maryland, Maryland, Kansas, Kansas. I think that's it so far um, as of recording. Those are the ones that have fired, but then you look at positions you have. Kansas State is probably looking to put a, uh, a clean end on probably Bill looking, Snyder. Probably looking to take Bill Snyder out behind the shed. Um, like you're looking at there. Auburn struggling with this identity. You're North Carolina's got to be firing. North, yeah, right? they've, they've one win North. still, and that was after he said some really bizarre things that didn't endear him to the media. Uh, yeah, uh, well, not just the media, but I think the public. Cause, yeah. So he's got to be He basically, like, he let his inner Beckman out. Yeah. Remember, they, those guys were buddies. Yes. Um, anyway, we bring all that up to mention that 
the game that could add the biggest name yet to the coaching carousel would be USC and UCLA. Now, if you think, oh, wow, USC, that's right. I haven't heard about them. What are they doing? They're five and five. Uh, they're USC. That's not good enough for USC. Well, especially because they started off, I mean, they must have just a terrible record in their last six because they were at one point like a top 10 team, weren't they? Yeah, which is, again, since Pete Carroll, it's kind of been the story of USC. And the thing is, is like, if like, you want to know, you have like some years where there's the talent, but it's unproven. So they're like, okay, maybe they're also receiving votes. And then by the end of the year, it's like, yeah, maybe they're for real. And then you start the next year with, you know, some optimistic, like, Okay, maybe now the corner is turning and you get up to like five wins and then up oh, it all falls apart. And then you end up losing to Georgia Tech to go six and seven in the Sun Bowl. Yeah, that's kind of been the story of the post-Pete Carroll era for USC. And they've tried now three different former Carroll assistants as head coach. Kind of feels like they may be looking for a fourth. Kind of feels like maybe they should have picked Justin Wilcox, who just beat them last year and has taken Cal and turned them into a defensive strength. I mean, of course, his I think his offensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken, is Bo Baldwin, the former Eastern Washington head coach. I think you used right. to just rain yeah. hell on the Oregon teams. Right. I think you're correct about so, that. So point is that's an exciting, you know, that that's kind of an exciting thing happening at Cal, and you missed out on all that. Yeah, although really, like, if you're USC and you want either of those guys, you think they're going to say no, I think you could probably have your point. They, 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 they took Washington's coach. Yeah, you like. could probably, I mean, <laughs> could you? Could, would it be impossible for them to take Chris Peterson? I, I don't know that it would be. So. Would it be impossible for them to take Chip Kelly? Not that they want to. <laughs> I was going to say I'm just what? saying, like, like what, if, his... what if they just, like, took Chip Kelly and then fired him just to be like, fuck you, you UCLA. Don't, you don't have a coach anymore, UCLA. We'll, <laughs> oh, we'll just find someone else. Don't worry about and then, it. Yeah, and then found a... Yeah. Wow. That would be the pettiest thing anybody has ever done. And yet, that would be pretty on brand for Pat Hayden. That's like some... But yeah, but that's also like Texas A&M shit. Like, that's what yeah. they would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Like, if, if Tom Herman, like, retired, like, quit for some reason, or Texas lost their minds and fired him or something, and, like, the rumor was, oh, Texas wants this guy. Like, they want... I can know. Like, they want Mike Gundy. I bet, like, Texas A&M would just buy out Jimbo... Pay him with like a contract to never coach again, and then hire Mike Gundy just yeah. to stop Texas from doing it. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing else to watch this week. Watch your game, and then go and do your guard work. It, it's the weather's gonna turn to shit. And watch basketball. Clean your friggin' gutters. Yep, and do not forget to watch basketball. Um, we got the Gavit games. Yeah, season. we got the Gavit games coming up, so that'll be something. Um, you bring that up, I think, to maybe show my shame for not getting the podcast together in basketball yet. Uh, I'll definitely probably maybe still consider doing that. The man's been in South America working on his story on Samba Kane's origin, the seven-foot Illini center uh, out of Brazil. Andrew has been doing investigative work. You talk about in-depth basketball previews. He's your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle and pie.